Heavenly Father, we thank you because you're a God that cares for us and cares about our family members and loved ones and the world in general, especially the ones of who need you and haven't had the opportunity uh, to know the real God. Lead us in this afternoon's presentation in Jesus' name. Amen. Very well. Over the, over the next uh, three days, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, we're going to talk about two things and how it relates to each other. And the title of this seminar is Compassionate Evangelism, right? Uh, both of those things have to work together for it to be successful. Let me start with a story that's going to illustrate how this works in real life. And then today I'm just going to lay out a case for, for uh, compassionate evangelism. And then uh, over the next two days we'll have very specific things that you can do in your life, in your local church, and in your community. Um, so there is uh, a guy named Giorgino. Giorgino was born in Italy. And when Giorgino was born, he was born to one of the three most wealthy, wealthiest families in Italy. He was extremely rich and set. So rich, in fact, that he was baptized by the Pope himself. Like the actual Pope did his baptism when he was a baby. And uh, when Giorgino was 11 years old, he was, he was going to Catholic school in Italy. And one day he raised his hand and asked a question. He said, how can you prove to me, he told the priest, how can you prove to me that God exists? And the priest looked at him and said, talk to me after class. And when he talked to him after class, he said, we don't question priests. Go get your family so they can come and apologize for asking questions. So at 11 years old, he goes home and tells his dad, um, I asked a question about God, and they said that I should not ask any questions and that you guys need to go and apologize. And his dad and his mom, who's very rich, they said, if that school does not allow you to ask questions, you don't need to take Bible classes. So at 11, he becomes an agnostic. And he says, if I cannot ask any questions, then why even believe in God? He grows up, he goes to school, he gets a degree, and he becomes an international finance director. Like all the major stars that you, that you know of, uh, several of them, their money is managed by him. So he, he is living in Spain, and he marries this girl, who was a lapsed Adventist. And they get married. She's not going to church. He does not believe in God. They get married, and then they have kids. And when they have kids, something spiritual awakens. Because, you know, and anybody have kids here? That kids will drive you to prayer, right? Because when you have kids, you know the devil exists, right? You know. <laughs> So if the devil exists, then God exists, right? So he's, he's like, uh, have these two children, and she's, we need to go back to church. And he says, what about, what, what do you mean, back to church? I don't, I don't believe in God. Church is not a place. I don't trust institutions. I don't trust uh, churches. Uh, but she makes them. <laughs> and he, he shows up. Talking about compassionate evangelism, all right? You're going to see how this all connects in a moment. He, uh, he goes to church, and the first experience he has in a local Adventist church is a terrible one. Because uh, he, when I was talking to him, uh, he said, why are Adventist pastors mad all the time? <laughs> I don't know what... We're not. We're not. Uh, we're, but but the, the, the church that he went to, it was a, first of all, nobody talked to him when he went there. And all during the service, everything, he had small kids. 
So everything they said from the pulpit is the reverence and the reverence and the reverence and the, these kids and you have to control your kids and the reverence. And it's like it's, it's like a like a constant barrage of like if you have small children, you're not doing the right thing because they're being children. His children are not church. They have no idea how to behave in church. And they're just starting to get dirty looks from the members. But no matter what, she, the, the wife is like, we need to go back. So they start going. And he goes with her. And he is present in body, but absent in mind. And this happens for several years. He's going to church, does not believe in God, wondering, wonders why the pastor is so mad. That's his experience. They move to the Bahamas and they buy a huge mansion there and he's living the life and so is his wife. And they put their kids in Adventist school. But he's still with this concept that church is for weak-minded people and for people that uh, don't have anything else better to do. He, he's, he's going to accompany his wife. But about a year ago, they're starting to have they're starting to have marital issues. And it gets so bad that they're thinking about separating. So somebody who's a friend of the wife tells the wife, there is this pastor in Collegedale. His name is Joel. He can help your marriage. She doesn't know Joel. The wife doesn't know Joel. The friend is recommended. He doesn't, the husband doesn't know Joel, and Joel doesn't know them. So Joel, who's my friend, gets a call and says, my name is Georgino. I live in the Bahamas. I would like you to come down, all expenses paid, and spend a week with us, helping us in our marriage. What would you say if somebody calls you? <laughs> Out of the blue. <laughs> like, when something's too good to be true, right? It probably <laughs> is too good to be true. So, He gets freaked out. He's like, uh, he's like, how do you hear about me? And he's like, don't even worry about it. Are you going to come or not? So he said, let me ask my wife. He asked his wife. His wife is convinced he's going to die, right? <laughs> he's gonna about to get murdered. And then he tells his board, and the board says, do not go to the Bahamas. There's bad stuff that happens over there. We know about it. You're about to get killed. <laughs> But he prays about it, and God gives him a peace. And he goes to the To the, he goes to the airport, and when he gets to the airport, uh, the person who's attending him says, where is your return ticket? Because the guy bought him two one-ways. So, <laughs> so the, the person at the desk only sees the one-way. He's like, where's your return ticket? So he's now convinced he's about to die, right? Because, <laughs> because why would you only buy a one-way ticket? But he goes, he gets on the plane anyway, and he goes and talks to Georgino and his wife for a week and starts ministering to, to them and talk, is talking to her and him about the gospel and how it relates to marriage and how it can infiltrate every area of your life. And he's not bringing up on them condemnation, but he's just presenting the beautiful gospel that is found in scripture. And he says, I've been going to church for three years now and... I don't, I never heard about this, this, the gospel. And the, I mean, you present Jesus in a way that is attractive. It's not a God that I'm scared of. So I have some questions. And my friend said, ask the questions, any question you want. He's like, but I thought I wasn't supposed to ask questions. No, yeah, any question you want. That happened a year ago. Over the, the next year, they've been talking, right? He's been ministering to them in their marriage. He's talking to them because nobody of you, no, no matter if you're rich or poor, black or white or Hispanic, everybody has needs that money cannot resolve. Right? So you, you don't start by, har by having a religious argument. You start by having a what do you need so I can help you conversation. So a year ago, 
over a year, they've been reading the Bible and studying about Christ. And he's like, man, I really dig this Sabbath thing because I work like a beast. And this Sabbath rest is like amazing, man. So in many times, you have to understand, people don't have a lot of issues with our message. What they have issues with is our messengers, right? Right? It's, 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 it's not, it's in the, it's how we present it. So they're talking and reading the Bible and, and they're studying the Bible. And, and you fast forward, a year of friendship develops with Joel, who lives in Collegedale, and this guy who lives in the Bahamas. So fast forward a year, and in February of this year, they have spring break, and they have planned a ski trip to the mountains of Vancouver. It's perfect snow. The kids are, they have two teenagers. They have, the, the, the kids are really excited. They bought the tickets, the lift tickets. They reserved the hotel. They bought the plane tickets. Everything is ready to go. And they load up the ski gear in a UPS truck. And on the way to the airport, it gets robbed. And the only thing they rob is the ski gear. Like nothing else in the truck is touched except for the ski gear. And they're like, man, now the kids are mad. But they're like, no, no worries. We're going to go skiing. We're just going to rent some ski gear over there. They're getting in the airplane. And Giorgino is walking down the ramp to get in the airplane. And there's a puddle of water that was put in there by an angel. I'm convinced, right? And he falls and breaks his arm. So he goes to the doctor. The doctor said, no skiing. So now he's like, it's like doubly bad, right? Because he can't ski, so he can't go. So the kids are mad at him, and he can't go. So he's like, what do we do now? He calls my friend Joel and says, I just broke my arm. have nothing to do. We have a week off. So Joel said, come to College Dale. Vancouver ski trip in Collegedale. You see, <laughs> it's like very similar, right? There's <laughs> it's like trees. Okay, there's another tree. All right, there's another tree. Oh, well, a tree. <laughs> and so he said, well, we have nothing to do. He said, you know what? We're having a week, uh, a series of a week. Um, in our church called We All Have Problems. And I wanted to know if you, if you wanted to come. Hang out. We'll hang out during the day and go to the meetings at night. So, so imagine in these teenagers' minds, they're going from, I'm going to go skiing in Vancouver to I'm going to go to church eight nights <laughs> in my spring break. So they're not talking to the dad. But he goes, and first night, I was doing the series. The first night, I meet him, and first thing, first conversation we have, he's like, so he's like, I, I, I dig Jesus, but I'm not, I'm not joining any church because all institutions are corrupt. And I'm, the worst thing you can do when somebody expresses their opinion is for you to argue with with them out of it like no let me prove you how you're wrong because they dig in you're like I'm, i was like really that's 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 interesting it's it's, it's interesting yeah, tell me more and he starts talking about his experience tell me more he starts talking about his experience and and the catholics and i'm like man such an interesting life we go out to eat then sunday night he comes back and then monday night he comes back and then Tuesday night, he says, um, I've decided that that I'm, I've accepted Jesus. Sunday night, I've accepted Jesus in my heart. But institution stuff, I'm not getting baptized and I'm not joining the church. I'm like, oh, no, no, I mean, nobody's going to force you to do it. And on Wednesday night, I, I preach my family sermon and after I made an invitation if somebody here 
wants to join, and notice the way I put it. I didn't say if somebody wants to join an institution. I said, which is a more biblical, I want you to invite you to join our family. Because when Jesus referred to us, he said we were brothers and sisters, right? The, mo the family motif is stronger than institution, right? If, you, if you're trying to reach postmodern people, if you're trying to reach millennials, if you're trying to reach people that are younger than 35, trying to get them to join an institution has as much draw as having three people punch you in the face. At the same time. <laughs> in other words, not much. But but the Bible is like, I'm, I'm coming back for you. And, and when Jesus talks about the church, he talks about his wife. So it's all, the, in all in scripture, when Jesus talked to his disciples, it's like my brothers and sisters are those who do the will of God. And, 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 and we're children of Abraham and you are children of God. And this concept of family is present. Very seldom do you see this institutional, but the family. But it's more attractive because especially postmodern people, especially the last two generations, have grown up without a complete nuclear family. So they're craving it. You understand what compassion evangelism? Are you following this story, right, all the stuff? The first night they got there, these two kids were like, Why, what are we doing here? Why are we going to church? But on opening night, other kids from the church immediately said, hey, we have a football. After church, we're going to throw it around. Do you want to come? So after, after church, they're outside in the parking lot throwing the football. And there are no deacons running after them with belts. It's like they're, so they're associating fun and church, right? And people in the church are happy. And the church doesn't last for three hours, right? And, you know, because the gospel is eternal, but sermons and church services don't have to be, right? So, so, and people are actually friendly, and they say hi to them, and they welcome them, and they sit next to them, and they don't ignore them, and they don't smother them. That's a, that's a balance. Visitors don't want to be ignored, and they also don't want to be smothered. It's really balanced, right? Uh, in one hand... It's like, well, I didn't even notice that. I didn't even notice that get visitors were here. On the other side, like, give me your name, your social security number. I mean, <laughs> how much money do you have in the bank? What do you? <laughs> we, they, don't, they don't want. It, it's been proven that 83% of guests said they do not like to be made to stand during worship service. Were you aware of that? They don't like it. So why do we still do it though? Why do we call guests the flowers in our garden? This huge macho man, right? He shows up to church for the first time. Huge man with the uh, experience that happened to me. He had a hat and a huge, in a, the huge medallion with his shirt open with three hairs, right? He's <laughs> <laughs> huge macho. And there was a lady that always liked to give the welcome and say, can the visitors please stand? And the visitors stood and he says, you guys are the flowers in our garden. And this macho man is like, who are you calling a flower? <laughs> so they don't smother them and they don't ignore them. And we go out to eat and we have conversations. And then on Wednesday night when I made the invitation to join the family, first two that came up is Georgino and his wife. So February the 17th of 2018, I baptized Georgino and his wife. And when I finished baptizing Georgino and his wife, the first two people that came up for the call after the baptism were his son and his daughter. She's 19 and he is 14. This is, it was an amazing experience because... Up to Wednesday, he said, yeah. So, so the first day, he's like, yeah, I'm cool with Jesus, but not with the church, right? And then the next day, he was like, yeah, I, lo I love Jesus. I've accepted Jesus, but I'm never going to get baptized. And then the, every day, he was like, yeah, uh, I, I love Jesus. I'm going to get baptized, but not right now, right? And, and, and until finally, we're in the tank together. I'm like, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> 
Look, before. <laughs> and I, I have never seen this before, right? The guy is like super rich. And this church um, had is right now undergoing a fundraising campaign because they're building a church. It's going to cost $7 million. So there was a lot of discussion in the church whether to have evangelism or not because churches think that evangelism is an expense. But evangelism is an investment. I've never seen this before. It was a confirmation for the doubters. There's always a doubter in every board, right? You know who it is in your church. You it is. Yeah, yeah I know. It's, a, it's uh, him or her. Uh, if you don't know who it is, it's probably you, right? But, but that's fine. There's always a doubter that says, why are we going to spend $10,000 on evangelism? Why are we... I mean, we're, we're just scrounging money and we're going to build this church maybe three years from now when our finances are better or when the things, and that's, that's, uh, that would be a mistake. Uh, when they got baptized, you know, I don't know if you do this in your church or not, but when people get baptized in Spanish churches, they bring them up and they give them a Bible and their certificate, right, and some flowers and welcome to the church. So they, they were brought up, and they give them their Bible and their certificate and their flowers to the wife. And he says, and I am so happy, and just, he just gave his testimony. And he said, and I have a gift for the church. And I've never seen this before, where you receive a certificate, and you give a gift of thousands of dollars. So that evangelistic series paid for itself during the evangelistic series. It's never an expense. It's always an investment, right? You never have your church in a perfect moment to give evangelism. Like when we get healthier, when we get better, when we get out of this debt, when you, we finish this building, when, when, uh, when it's not summer, when it's never a good time to do evangelism. And it's always a good time to do evangelism. So here's, here's a fantastic story. A guy baptized by the Pope. Now... He's an Adventist. He's in Bermuda, in Bahamas. He's moving to Miami. Sharing with sharing the Adventist message with people, I could never do. Because I'm not friends with his type of people. I don't, you know, Ricky Ricardo type person. I, I don't know people in Hollywood. I have no idea who, I mean, I could I see them from distance in airports, but he is connected. He manages their money, so he has access. So when people say, well, um, what evangelism works? Well, evangelism only works in, in the lower classes, and evangelism only works in, in minorities and people that just moved to the United States, and evangelism uh, does not work for a postmodern person. I see this over and over and over and over in my evangelistic meetings. People like Giorgino, who's a highly educated, speaks six languages, has an MBA and another master's, and 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 he's a he has money to throw out the window. He has needs too. So the key to reach people like Giorgino, as well as people like my next door neighbor, has some principles behind it if you're going to be successful. So let me tell you what that principle is. And over the next three days, we're going to go deeper into this. But when I understood this principle, it changed the way I do evangelism. Right? It changed the way I approach my neighbors, my life. It changed the way I live my life. A lot of people say, think, well, in order for me to serve Somebody, when we talk about, hey, we're going to have a service weekend in our church, or we're going to have a service uh, day in our church, what we think is that we have to stop our life to go serve somebody. So it's like drive-by service, right? It's like we, we drive by and we, we give out some, some uh, food boxes, and we don't go back there again till the next Thanksgiving. It's like drive-by service. But the way evangelism, service evangelism, compassionate evangelism works is that you think 
I don't go to church. I am the church. So wherever I am, the church is there. So I live my life with intentionality. I wake up every morning waiting for God's opportunities. Because God was working in Georgino's life even before I met him. It was God who broke his arm. Well, you know, I'm not in a literal sense. It was God who allowed this stuff to get stolen. It was God who allowed him to connect with Joel. You see all the stuff that happened before I got there? So he came to my meetings, and he got baptized in one week. Why? Because he had three years of connections and studies that I had nothing to do. I was just like the last part of it. So when I wake up every day, I'm trying to figure out how can I serve people? How can I serve the people that I work with? I don't have to stop my life to serve. I can serve as I live my life. So as I understood this principle that I'm about to share with you, my whole attitude towards evangelism changed. And I see it because I do evangelism six months, six times a year. So this is not something I read in a book or I read in a, uh, or heard in a seminar. This is something that I've experienced with Spanish churches and Anglo churches and African-American churches and Korean churches. This is across demographics. Let me show you. I wish I had uh, this to show you here, but you can write it down. All right. Let me explain to you, once again, today we're just setting the basis. And then tomorrow we're going to go um, into a lot more practical stuff. But this just, I want you to understand the theological and philosophical basis behind it. This is how evangelism, evangelism is basically, the definition of evangelism is how I share Christ with somebody else who does not know him. Evangelism has changed significantly in the last 60 years. Let me give you, and I want you to remember these three words, all right? In the 1950s, it was a golden age of evangelism. In the 1950s to the 1980s, the way a person came to faith in Christ, understand what I'm saying, all right? The way a person came to faith in Christ, it was primarily to this structure. Listen to the words. Number one, I have four words for you. Number one is unchurched. The second word is Christ. The third word is community. And the fourth word is cause. So understand that pattern. What, what was the first word? Unchurch. Unchurch. Yeah, unchurch. Yeah. For a person who, who's not... So an unchurched person, and what were the three C's? It was Christ, community, and cause, in that order. So this is, this is from the 50s to the 80s. This was religion in America. First of all, who is your target group? It's an unchurched person. What is an unchurched person? In the 1950s to the 1980s, what is an unchurched person? An unchurched person is somebody who does not presently attend a church, but has some church background. Less, if you look at the, at the stats, and you want to look them up on Google after we're done, right? You see that atheism, people that say, don't believe in God, God does not exist, is a myth. In the 1950s, it was less than 10%, more like 5%. So it was very rare that you would see somebody who said, absolutely, unequivocally, God does not exist. So your target group are primarily the 95% of people that don't attend church, but consider themselves many times part of a denomination. They would say, "What do you believe in God? Yes. What are you? I'm Baptist. When's the last time you went to church? Um, let's see. Um, it has been a long time. But you believe in God? Yes. It was like 
It was like part of being an American is a, is a belief in God. Are you following what I'm saying so far? So that, that's the target group. Like they have a general respect for scripture. They have a general respect for God and godly things. Even though themselves, they were not followers of Christ. Sometimes some of them went to church three times in their life. The first time they threw water at them. The second time they threw rice at them. And the, thir and the third time they threw dirt at them, right? It's just like three times in their life. But if you wanted to get married, you went to church to get married. If you wanted to get buried, you, you go to the pastor to, to bury you. Even because he's buried, he's buried your grandma and your great-grandma. And, 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 and there was some, there was some financial inv the incentive for you to belong to a congregation because you were well respected even though you never went to first congregation or church of christ but that i'm gonna have my membership is there right so you, that's your target group how do you reach them what are the three c's christ community and cause so first thing and you you see we we just recently had the loss of uh, Uh, who I believe a, gr a great man of God. His name is Billy Graham. Those were the years the Billy Graham crusades. They filled 80,000 people in a stadium, 100,000 people in Central Park, right? 100,000 people in London. It was like the, like the way we do evangelism is get everybody to a location. And we'll bust them in and we'll bring them in. It's like, come see. And the evangelist will be, will preach Christ and say, you're lost, you're a sinner. Confront them with the claims of Christ. The person will make a decision and say, I want to follow Christ. After they follow Christ, we will bring them, what's the second C? We will bring them into community, into fellowship. You're part of our community now. You're an Adventist now. And this is what it means. It means eating chocolates, right? Going to camp, camp meeting, right? It is a, it, it, we have a subculture and a language that we talk, right? Uh, that only we understand. The inspired pen. We only understand what that means. Because like, and the elders and the potluck, right? And the haystacks. That's, not on, that's only known by us. And the conference and the GC and the ABC and the AY. All those words veggie meat I mean what make up your mind is it veggie or is it meat like <laughs> how long will you so, so, and we bring him into community and we teach him that this is how this is how we do and this is how we dress and this is how we worship and this this is our community and you're part of our community and then number three what's the third C if the church had a cause people that we have the people that have com been converted and are part of our community then they will join the cause like feeding the homeless and I remember back there back then and some of you might remember when I was growing up I'm a third generation admin so I grew up in church how many of you were born in church it's really difficult for your parents to be for you to be born <laughs> I was born in the hospital but that's cool <laughs> When, when, when I was growing up, it was something called the Dorca Society. Everybody remember the Dorca Society? Yeah, and they had their dress, right? And their little patch, right? You, you could not be a community person and be leading in any of those things. Like, if the church had specific causes they would, they would, uh, that they would do in a community, it was pretty much limited to, like, feeding the hungry, clothing Right, the ones that didn't have, and just some causes like that. If you have been converted by Christ, you were part of a community, then you join a cause. That's the way it happened. That's the way my parents came into the church. That's the way when I was a kid, people came into the church. That was the most successful way of doing evangelism. 1990s. 80s, 90s, and 2000s, this changed. Right? America changed. What happened in the 
80s and 90s, what happened? What significant invention happened that changed the world as we know it? Before the cell phones, we had something called the Internet. Right? So now, this is what in the Internet did. The Internet leveled the playing field. So now, uh, whereas before, before the 90s, in order for you to receive a service, you had to go to a physical location. Anybody remember paying bills at the light bill place? Huh? So if you wanted food, you had to go to the restaurant. If you wanted to do research, you had to go to the library. If you wanted to buy clothing, you had to go to the Walmart. Let's not act like we don't go there. I go there. Yes, I admit it. You had to go to the store. If you wanted to rent a movie, you had to go to Blockbusters. So the Internet changed everything. And it changed and it affected the way people consumed religion. Because now they don't have to go to the church where they're a member of. Now they can consume content in their house. So it fundamentally changed the way people operate. The world you live in now is different. The largest taxi service in the world does not own one car. So it's a different world. So basically right now, the only place that you still go to consume a service is the church. Because you can study and get a doctorate in your pajamas. You can get food from Uber Eats. You can get clothing from and everything else from Amazon. You can consume your movies from Netflix. So there, there's not much that you need to leave your house to do. But we still have this idea, in order for us to reach people, people have to come to us. Are you understanding the, the dynamic? So what happened in the 1980s and 90s? There was this movement called small groups. Like instead of asking people to come to our church, let's ask them to come to our house. So you still start with an unchurched person. But the way you, you put the three C's changes. So what, what are the three C's? Christ, community, and cause. So now those three C's change. Now you don't start with Christ. You start with community. It's like, let's get to know each other. Come to my house. We, you know, we'll, we'll, I'm not going to take you to my church before I take you to my house. Before we ch share the gospel, we share a meal. So let's have this, let's get together in my house. And there's a, there's a Matthew parties where you come to my house and, and we, we just, just get to know each other. And we come into community and we want to, people told us they wanted to belong before they believed. Right? And then, but, but we didn't stop there. We said the, the purpose why, why we have small groups is for us to eventually get you into into a church service. And we want to introduce Christ to you. So eventually we had something evangelistically and we introduced them to Christ. So the C's change in this way. Instead of being Christ, community, and cause, now it is community, Christ, and cause. That's the 1980s to the, the 2000s, early 2000s. You following me so far? 2010, another shift happens, and it happened, it happened more rapidly in some parts of the country than others, but now that is full-fledged. 
There is a phenomenon in the last 10 years, well, 8 years, 2010, called the nuns. Not, not Catholic nuns, but like N-O-N-E-S, you know, nuns. So since in the 1950s, less than 5% uh, thought about themselves as atheists, less than 5%. So you can hardly find an atheist, right? But now, in the last eight years, when, when they did the last census in 2010, is when they first noticed that shift. When people were asked, what religion are you? A significant increase went from 5 to 15. A, re a significant increase of people said, I am, they said, Adventist, Baptist, Methodist, Catholic. And there was one at the bottom that said, none. Right? So people marked. Because they said, what is the benefit of me saying I'm a Christian? Because what happened in the 1990s, in 1980s, and 90s, right? That there was the rise. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not. Follow me before you get all like, hey, what? There was a rise in North America of something called the religious right. And it had some specific items that they sought to drive politically. So there was a, a response to that 15 years later where they say, well, religious people are, this is not who we are, but this is perception. And perception is reality. If I perceive you're going to kick me in my face, I don't even know if it's true or not, but perception, if I think that, I'm going to step away from you, even though you don't, might not want me to kick me in the face, right? Because you're a nice person. The perception is that, that the religious rights were associated primarily with one political party and that the Christians are intolerant and anti-homosexual and uh, anti... It's, it's, it's down the line, they're seen as intolerant. Now, I'm not that way. I believe that the Bible clearly teaches that the marriage is between a man and a woman, right? But if a person who's, uh, uh, who's gay comes to my church, I don't tell them God hates you and you're going to go to hell. And So they, they painted a caricature of Christians. So you have to understand now that Christians, uh, Christianity in general, used to have a positive connotation. You ask somebody about a Christian in 1950, and they will tell you a different perception of a Christian in 1990 and now in 2017. I don't think we're bigots, but I think that even though we have not shifted, the culture has. So you have to be sensitive to where they're at. So how do you destroy preconceptions? The way to destroy preconceptions is not by telling them you're wrong and you're going to hell. It's by making relationships with people so they see that Christians are not what they're painting them to be. Because they get their, um, they're consuming information, right? They live, especially the younger generations live in front of a screen. They have their phone or their iPad or their computer or their TV. So they're consuming media all the time. And the media is not very... Um, friendly to people of faith. That's just a fact. So so they have this this profession this, this this perception and caricature of who Christians are. And then they they surveyed non Christians and they asked them how many they asked non Christians, the nuns, how many people of faith are your friends? And I think it was like 75% said they had zero people of faith as friends. And that's not on them. That's on us. Because when we were lost, Christ didn't ask us to make the first move. Right? He, he came down himself. 
right? So it's, it's, if somebody bears the burden of proof, it's us. Like, I need to make friends with my neighbors. You following what I'm saying? So the 1990s, so this whole sh thing shifted, and they're like, come community, then I'm going to introduce you to Christ. And then if the church had a cause, they would join it. The last one, 2010, you now, you don't start with an unchurched person. So I don't assume when I'm preaching that I'm preaching to unchurched people. I assume I am preaching to nuns. In 2010, it was 15%. In 2018, what percentage do you think it is? Right now, it's 28. And every year, is more. So in the last 10 years, 40 million people stop identifying themselves as Christians. 40 million said, what benefit is it to me to to say I'm a Christian. It's no benefit to me. In fact, that's like a pejorative, right? It's like, who, who wants to be associated with those people? So this is what we had in America since the 1950s. If you think of 100%, you have, in 1959, no, 2018, if you think of 100% in North America right now, think of 100% of people, you see 25% of North Americans are convictional Christians. These are people that go to church, that are involved in a local church, that give to the church, that volunteer the church, 25%. That's pretty consistent across all denominations. That's pretty consistent in our denomination. How many members do you have in your church? How many people actually attend it? I will bet you right now, I'm not a betting man because that would be a sin, right? And I'm a pastor. But I will bet you right now that if you have 100 members in your church, no more than 50 attend. That's just pretty much across the board. And out of the 50 they attend, that attend, how many are involved serving? How many are involved giving? The, 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 the average in your local, average local church Except for church plants, the only way, the only one, uh, the only church that bucks all the trends are church plants. The level of commitment is higher. The level of giving is higher. The level of involvement is higher. Church plants, right? Established churches are maintained by volunteers and money from 20% of their members. 80% of your members look to the 20% of your members to do everything and give everything. They just, I mean, just thank God that I'm here. That, that's basically an, an attitude. And I know it's not like that in your church because your church is fantastic and perfect. But that's that way. So understand, are you following me? This 100%, right? The 100%, 25% are convictional Christians. And now 25% of the culture are nuns, agnostics, atheists, people that say, I'm not associated with religion, don't like religion, nothing to do with religion. And then you have 50% that is like, they call it the mushy middle. They're like, they're fluct they fluctuate, right? They fluctuate depending on the part of the country you live in and what's happening in that community and what's in the news. These, these people are like. But definitely, we're, the hemorrhage is going that way. So how do you reach them? First of all, you assume that a person, you don't assume a person has any religious background. So when you're preaching and when you're giving Sabbath school and when you're printing your bulletin, right, you don't assume people have a religious background because more and more people have no religious background. So when people say in, when they're preaching, I know many of you maybe don't, don't preach, but some of you might be teaching Sabbath school or leading children or making announcements or whatever it is. When people say, well, we all know the story of David. They're like, what David? David Wallace from the office? What David? So I don't assume, when I'm preaching, I don't assume that, number one, they trust the Bible. So when I say, 
when I preach, I try not to use the Bible says. I just try to use in the book of John, John who was a real person, right? He wrote a book that's part of the of the Bible, which is 66 books. So I, I take more time to explain things because I don't assume people understand. So I try to use as the least amount of insider language as I can. Things only we understand, like the veggie meat and the elders and the AY and the Pathfinder Fair. Right? I, I want to use language that they can relate to because they are biblically, nuns are biblically illiterate. They can't tell you the difference from Ezekiel to Hezekiah. They don't know that one is a Bible book and the other one is a Bible character. They have no idea where to find things. Right? So I use in my preaching a translation of the Bible that people can understand when they read. Right? This hither dither Bible, nobody talks like that. So it's a barrier for unbelievers. You want to do that in your own personal time and study in your own personal time? God bless you. But, but look for a good translation that is English that people can understand. Because I believe God wants us to be different. But he does not want us to be weird. So let's avoid weird stuff. Right? And insider language and stuff that is not appropriate when you have guests in your Sabbath school class to have a one-hour discussion about the Illuminati and, the, and, the, and the, the black pope and the coming persecution. You don't start with that. That's not the intro. Right? You, let, let's just, there are times for everything. That's what my mom used to say to me. There's times for everything. So we, we start them with Jesus because they don't know Jesus. And a person who has knowledge without Jesus only becomes a headache later on in the church. This is how evangelism has shifted in the last 150 years. When the Seventh-day Adventist church was founded... The world that Adventist Church was founded in was a Christian nation. People went to church. People knew about the Bible. People respect the Bible. So our evangelistic strategy was to develop a series of 20 presentations that built on the gospel. Like we assumed when, when somebody came from the Methodist Church or the Baptist Church, when Ellen White was alive, right? She, she was a Methodist. She came to a Methodist Church, and people came from the Baptist Church, right? We assumed that those people had a connection with Jesus. But they had not understood deep biblical truth that had been hidden for hundreds of years, and we had to explain it to them. So we developed and we contextualized our evangelistic strategy to reach a world that was primarily Christian. Are you understanding what I'm saying? So we're, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to teach you the gospel. Because I assume you know it. Because you're a Christian. I know you. And we're from the same neighborhood. I know you go to church on Sunday. And you, and you know about the cross and Christ died for you. So, but what you don't know about is the Sabbath. Let me explain to you about this beautiful gift. What you don't know about is that the dead, when they die, they don't come at night and pull your, your blankets. They're actually dead. Let me talk to you about that. So we develop our strategy. Now, are we trying to reach those same people today? So we have to back it up. Like, for example, 1850, when Ellen White was alive, people respected the Bible. But now it's like people are like, the Bible is just another book. So we're, our evangelism right now is reduced to saying, let me prove to you how the, how the Bible is true. So how do you know the Bible is true? Because the Bible says it. But <laughs> that's like a circular reasoning. You understand what I'm saying? How do you know the Bible is true? Because the Bible says it. But, but I don't believe the Bible. Yeah, but the Bible says it's true, so you have to believe it. It's like, that doesn't make sense. 
Like, if somebody came to you and says, believe the Quran because the Quran is true. You're like, what? No, I don't think so. Yeah, no, the Quran says it's true, so you have to believe it. How would you take that? Would you say, oh, okay, buy Bible. Quran, yes, come. You wouldn't do that. So you have to have to, you have to actually, and our evangelism, evangelism strategy is built on the premise that the Bible is true. That's why we have 100 texts in every presentation to prove a specific doctrine. But if somebody does not believe the Bible is true, nothing you say is going to make sense. So they had, you have to back it up. So you don't start with a doctrinal confrontation. You start with Jesus and how he saves people. And once a person has accepted Jesus, like, okay, now let me tell you about this other stuff. So back, back to our schematic. Unchurch, Christ, community, cross. Second one was what? Community, Christ, and cause. How do you reach the nuns? Cause, community, and Christ. How is your church involved in causes in your community? And I tell churches there are five H's, and I'm going to talk about the five H's tomorrow. There's five H's in every community, right? Every community, no matter if you live in a town of 1,000 or 1 million people, these five causes are in your community in one way or another. Five H's. Hunger. There's hunger in your community. Homelessness. There's homelessness in your community. This is not just people sleeping in the street. But people who are staying with friends because they can't pay rent. Homelessness. First H. The first H was what? Hunger. The second one, homelessness. The third one is health. There's, my son just joined the army, right? He's going, um, going to, he went to MEPS and now he's going, pro, uh, in July he's going to basic training. And I, I found it interesting that talking to the military recruiters, they said that 71% of Americans cannot join the military because they're obese. So we have a health crisis in, in North America. Health crisis. It's a crisis. Right? So health. In your community, there's people that need health. Number four, human trafficking. Human trafficking is girls and boys being trafficked for sex under our noses. And it happens in Appalachia, and it happens in Charlotte, and it happens in Asheville, and it happens anywhere there's human beings, there is human trafficking happening. And there are organizations that are working in your, in your community right now. And the last H is help. People just need help. Sometimes they need school help. Sometimes they need clothing help. Sometimes they need rent help. Sometimes they need just emotional support. So what do we do? Since, since you, 1850s or, or, or when we started here, the 1950s, when we started, people were prejudiced in favor of Christianity. Then they moved to, well, I'm not sure, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not against or in favor. Now they moved to, I am definitely prejudiced against Christians. So you are starting the game behind. You don't start with a clean slate. You have to get to the point where they trust you. And how do they trust you? By you showing them you're not what people say you are. Like you actually care about people. So when you start doing and getting involved in this five H's in the community, instead of having... Uh, services primarily at the church. People come to church to get clothing and people come to church to be served. It's like, let's go to them. First of all, let's make friends with people who are far from Christ. I have four neighbors. Neighbors in front, young couple. Neighbor to my right, it's a gay couple. Neighbor to my left, some lapsed Christians. My job is to make friends with them. Taking gifts in Christmas, 
ask them about their dog, help them with the son that was just born, connect. And my neighbor to my right, I'll help you cut the trees and don't have to, have to pay me for it. Because proximity destroys prejudice. Right? And not only are Adventists prejudiced against because we're Christians. We're prejudiced because we're Adventists. So not only are we prejudiced because we're Christians. Now, we're, people are prejudiced against us who don't believe. And other believers are prejudiced against us. Because they see us as, as like a cult. And like these cultish people. And Why? Because we have no connection with them right our pastors don't go there there's a there there is a um a clergy association but the Adventist pastor is never there there is a prayer uh initiative but we don't want to be uh, mixing with people of other denominations like i went we, we had a we had a service initiative in, in in portland oregon one of the most secular cities in north america it's 10% Christian, Portland, Oregon. And we had a, health, uh, a service initiative, and there were Baptists and Presbyterians and Pentecostals, and we were all in one room. And the mayor came, who was, a, who was gay and atheist. And, and we just said to the mayor, here's a whole bunch of churches. How can we serve the city? What do you need the most? He says, schools are falling apart. We don't have money to maintain them. So the churches united, and we did health stuff. And, and each, at the end of the day, no, uh, nobody in my congregation became Pentecostal. And no Pentecostals became Adventists. But we, we work for the city to bless the city. And the mayor of the city gave an interview to Christianity Today saying, I was prejudiced against Christians, but now I'm not. And what broke it down? Service. So it breaks down barriers. It's like, not, we're not in this little corner over here by ourselves, with ourselves, for ourselves. We're, we're, we're getting our hands dirty in the community. Right? And, and, and we, if we look at Ellen White, we see, her, we see her involved giving speeches in the temperance society. Whereas it was primarily a non-Christian audience. She's giving speeches. Because it's something that she believed in. So, um, you know, on church people did not give her the cooties. When she, she, this is like 150 years ago, she wrote the great statement where she says, Christ, method, alone. So here it is. Here's, here's my, I got five minutes to go. I'm winding down. Cause, community, and Christ. So cause, five H's. How are we involved? Community is like, hey, you can belong before you believe. Like, for example, I have a good friend who's a pastor who has unchurched people who are coming to his church serve as greeters. He says there, there's, there's two things an unchurched person can't do in his church. Two things. Number one is lead worship or preach. But they can be greeters. They can work at the food bank. They can hand out clothing. They can be because they want to belong before they believe. So community and then Christ. And people often ask me, so how long do we serve them before we ask them and we tell them about Christ? How long do we serve them until we tell them about Christ? The answer is, you serve them until they ask why. And when they ask why, you say, the reason I do this is because I'm guided by my faith. And because I love you, and God loves you too. The problem is, that cannot be done in 20 nights. It's going to take a much longer, wider approach. It happened in eight nights for my friend, Giorgino, because of a work that had been done for eight years. 
So when you, you saw him and you're like, man, this guy's getting baptized in eight nights. Oh, what a great evangelist. That has nothing to do with me. He had everything with all the people that ministered to him along the way. The person who introduced him to Christ. His wife that worked on him. And finally, I was the last one who just, I was the, I was the, the person who delivered the baby. That's what I did. I just delivered the baby. Come on, baby. That's all I did. But there was a nine-month process before that happened. So, as you understand this, then you, you can go home with the idea, okay, this is the world we live in. I don't like it, but it is what it is. Now, I, can, I have two attitudes that I can take. Number one, I can retreat and say, nope, I'm going to do the same thing I've done. And then we'll continue to see shrinking churches and isolation mentality, right? It's like, it's just, you know, the holy huddle, the frozen, ch the frozen chosen. It's like just us, FUBU church, right? For us, boy, for us, by us, with us. And just, just hope Christ comes and rescues us from this evil world. Or we can do what Jesus did. Now, if you think about it, this is my last statement. Ellen White, when she says, Christ's method alone, the Savior mingled with men, the, he gained their confidence, he met their needs, right? And then he said, follow me. That, that quote, which ones are the three things that we talked about? In which pattern does that quote fit best? The Christ community cause or the cause community Christ? So she, 150 years ago, she foresaw at the end of the days this was going to happen. So she said, the Christ method alone, the only way this is going to happen, guys. I know it's not like that right now. That's how you know she's a prophet, right? This, this, 150 years ago, where the world was not like that. When she said that, they were like, what? This, no, what? You, you just have to tell them about God. She's like, no. You start with this. And then bring him into community and then introduce him to Christ. All right? God bless. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to be intentional about reaching the ones you love the most. Give us the rest of the afternoon in communion with you. And help us come back tomorrow in Jesus' name. Amen.